You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Alexa, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media, editor over at LongtownPelicans.com, Jake Madison, at NOLA Jake on Twitter. Here with you all on this Thursday, a winning day for the Pelicans after they completely trounced the Dallas Mavericks at home last night, 132-106, to get back to 500 with a 13-13 record, a win that was solely needed here for the Pelicans, giving up 30 in the first quarter, but having the lead and then basically cruising from there on out after big second and fourth quarters. There were some changes to the starting lineup. We'll preview all or recap all of that, talk about it a little bit more. Should Julius Randle move into the starting lineup over Nikola Mirotic? We'll cover all of that and more, and some really nice things for the holidays that Gail Benson did as well. I want to throw that in there. So, good bit to cover in today's edition of Locked on Pelicans. So basically everything in this game seemed to go right for the New Orleans Pelicans. Again, a win of 132-106. Big performances from Anthony Davis, 27 points, 9 assists, and 5 blocks. His rebound numbers were only 4, but that's because you had Julius Randle starting in place of the still sick Nikola Mirotic, who also put in 27 points and had 18 rebounds himself. 18. That is absolutely phenomenal. He was 11 of 16 from the field, 2 of 3 from deep, 3 of 7 from beyond the arc. After the game, when asked about his performance, Alvin Gentry said, you know, they're going to look at potentially starting him. And we'll talk about that in the second segment, what that might mean for the team. Also into the starting lineup last night was Solomon Hill, who played almost 23 minutes. He's kind of been in and out of the rotation, but you've seen him in it more recently, mainly because he's just not doing much other than shooting threes and not making mistakes. Maybe that makes him playable or at least passable. And he put up three points on the night with each one more coming off the bench in this one. Holiday and Frazier started in the backcourt. Frazier finished with eight points on the night. Seven assists, six rebounds with just two turnovers, was one of three from deep. Basically did exactly what he needed to. They limited his minutes in this one as well, just 23 on the night. He's been playing close to 40 at times, so I think this is the right move. Yeah, Drew Holiday, who was outstanding as usual, 17 points, eight assists, one turnover. Turnover numbers with, with another guard in the backcourt are just so significantly lower that it's, it's like a different type of player. Having him off ball is so important as we've been talking about a lot recently. He chipped in four steals as well. Wasn't nearly as aggressive offensively as you have seen him. When you had Julius Randle and Anthony Davis playing like they were, they didn't really need him. He was also phenomenal defensively, shutting down Luka Doncic, uh, who was two of eight on the night. The Mavericks basically packed this one in in the third quarter and decided not to really keep playing the starters as much. But going two of eight for the presumed rookie of the year right now, along with four rebounds, six assists, 
not a great shooting night from him. They denied him the ball. At a certain point, he just didn't even want to deal with having the ball in his hand. He was kind of getting nervous playing against Holiday. Looked like a true rookie there, not like the guy we've seen him be all year long. Harrison Barnes was 5 of 13 from the field, 16 points. You had Anthony Davis actually covering him. Um, at, at some point during this, that's because the, the Mavericks go with kind of a weird positionless kind of lineup where Doncic, who's, you know, maybe a point guard, but staying six, seven gets one of the forward spots. So you don't need to worry about him taking centers. Deandre Jordan scored just two points on the night, only eight rebounds at one point in the first half. He had zero points and just one rebound and the Pelicans energy and effort there to grab those boards and to beat the Mavericks up in that capacity was pretty pretty big. Basically, you just didn't feel the effects or or even feel him on the court at all for DeAndre Jordan. He was just a complete non-factor in this one. And you saw Tim Frazier beating him out for rebounds, Drew Holiday beating him out for rebounds. Anthony Davis just didn't need to do much work on the boards when those guys are kind of flying around to the tune that they did. For the Pelicans bench, they really stepped up in this one and had three guys in double figures. When is the last time we could say that about the Pelicans bench? Each one more coming off the bench in 26 and a half minutes, 17 points on the night, six assists, four rebounds, and he was seven of 16 from the night. Three of four from deep. Basically hit a green light when he was out there, and it's a different role for him, and he seemed to kind of enjoy it. Take the shots. Get others the ball. He's capable of doing some, I wouldn't I would call it light ball handling. I wouldn't say you want him being your like point guard. But with the reserves, it worked, and he had a big, big night. Check Diallo after getting basket interference on one of his own dunks. Finished the night with 10 points and 10 rebounds. When he's doing that, and he's five of six from the field, he can get some minutes. And Alvin Gentry said before the game with Nikola Mirotic out, you'd see Diallo get some earlier minutes than he normally has. He impressed him. You know, we've kind of written him off at times, and he comes back and totally redeems himself to the tune of 10 and 10 with three offensive boards. His energy's good, and when he's getting down low and scoring that way, it's a good thing, and you can play him. And he had also a monstrous dunk off the fast break. Some numbers of the fast break we'll talk about in just a second here. Darius Miller, 12 points on the night, 4 of 6 from deep. He was looking for his shot, getting the ball, shooting, and feeling confident about it. When you look at the other box score numbers, Pelicans had 60 points in the paint, 29 fast break points, and just 12 turnovers. This is exactly the style of ball that they want to play. On all of their made shots, by the way, 51 made shots, they finished with 36 assists. So this is a very good performance all around from the Pelicans. Taking care of business against a team that's looked pretty good, that was coming off wins over the Clippers a couple of nights ago. They won the night before in Portland, but they haven't been good on the road whatsoever, and you could see it in this one. The pace was pretty fast in this one, 106 on the night, and the Pelicans finished with a defensive rating of exactly 100. Pretty good overall. So this was a good performance. Basically the bounce back that the Pelicans needed. Only downside, which was just for a little bit, was towards the end of the third quarter, about six minutes or so left in there, Anthony Davis rolled his ankle, had to go to the locker room, but he did come back out and finished off the game, was able to go back in. So no questionable to return or anything like that. He's gone for, you know, four or five minutes or so. So that 
at least is a good thing that it doesn't seem like this is going to be a big deal. But it's something to keep an eye on because these things tend to get worse the day after. Before we get to the should Randall start question, the question on everyone's mind this morning, this episode of Locked on Pelicans is brought to you by and sponsored by Action Heat. Action Heat makes the world's best battery-heated clothing. It's it's cold outside, you guys. Heat on demand at the touch of a button. Control your environment with Action Heat. Action Heat clothing is engineered to safely and efficiently deliver heat via heating panels. Basically, it's like a heated car seat just wrapped around you, and that is pretty awesome, particularly in winter when it is getting cold, even here in New Orleans. Temperatures can get up to 135 degrees in the clothes, and they're uh, powered by a rechargeable 5-volt lithium-ion battery that lasts up to 12 hours on a single charge. You can also use it to recharge your phone, never lose power when you are on the go. It's perfect for any friend or family member on your holiday gift list, great for anyone who works outdoors, skiers, snowboarders, or just anyone who hates being cold. Action Heat provides toasty warmth and comfort for your whole body, including heated jackets, socks, gloves, hats, and even undergarments like base layer shirts and long johns. You can stay warm and cozy from head to toe with Action Heat. It's available in men's and women's clothing, and they have some great new styles that have just been released for this winter season. Make winter activities more enjoyable with a blast of warmth. Action Heat is the perfect solution to keep you toasty and warm, even in the most frigid winter weather. But we've also got a special offer for our listeners to save 20% off your entire order. Just go to actionheat.com slash locked on. That's actionheat.com slash locked on to check out everything Action Heat has to offer. That's actionheat.com slash locked on or use the coupon code locked on at checkout to save 20%. Stay toasty and warm while you enjoy all your outdoor activities this winter with Action Heat and we thank them for sponsoring Locked On Pelicans. All right, so the question that's going to be on basically everyone's mind today is should Julius Randle be starting? And this is a difficult question that has many, I guess, I don't know, variables to it. And after these past two games where Julius Randle has looked good, you know, 27 points last night, a career high of 37 um, before that against the Clippers on Monday, where he fouled out with four minutes to go and had a very, very good chance at 40 points, you know, does it work? And he's been out there with Anthony Davis. And we've seen it work. And they were close against the Clippers. They completely dominated the game against the Dallas Mavericks. So is this something that the Pelicans should look at? And Nalvin Gentry did say after the game, you know, they're going to consider starting this. If you do that and then keep Solomon Hill in the lineup or something like that, you have a kind of maybe deeper bench of more shooters with Moore and Miritich there. And maybe it pushes more back into the starting lineup with Miritich coming off the bench. Some of the variables here. The big concern that's going to kind of jump out at everyone with this is, okay, that's great. Let's start Randall. But what happens when Alfred Payton returns? Then you've got two guys who do not shoot well out on the court and does that clog the paint up for Anthony Davis it's a valid concern I think we've seen that Peyton can hit an open three we've seen that Randall can hit an open three but the fact is those are open threes because teams are trying to take that away or give them that shot and take away other looks and want to clog the paint against potentially a three-man four-man combo of something like Drew Holiday Alfred Peyton Anthony Davis and Julius Randall you know where they're trying to go and that's inside and scoring the paint that way There's two things with the spacing issue because that is a bit of a concern, but if they're going to get 29 fast break points per game, 
and that lineup can absolutely run, you're less worried about shooting because you're just getting quick, easy possessions on the offensive end that really aren't involving three-point shots as well. So it's a bit of a, a, an unneeded thing. And then if those guys do continue to hit the shots, maybe defenders do kind of pop out on them. And so I think it can kind of be alleviated a little bit. But one of the things you saw in the game against the Dallas Mavericks was the play in the paint without the ball between AD and Davis. Um, And that was one of the more impressive things. A lot of Julius Randle's buckets came by him just cutting and recognizing there was a lane and then being kind of the follow man and filling that lane. And you saw it a number of times. And a lot of that came when he was not just on the perimeter, cutting from the three-point line down towards the basket, getting the ball from Drew Holiday, who was on the right side, happened a bunch. But it was also when they were he was in the paint with Anthony Davis, and Anthony Davis sets a screen down low underneath the basket that kind of springs Julius Randle, a bit of like a, a pin down if he was just kind of already there. So Davis sets the screen, Julius Randle then just kind of curls around him, and he's already in the paint. And it's enough movement in AD, such a big body and demands enough tension that he can get an, an inch or two of separation, get the ball, and then score that way. And so we saw that a lot. So it gives me hope that maybe they could figure out an offense that, yeah, you know, you don't need to worry about this as much. Right now, AD is also drawing double and triple teams basically in any pick and roll situation. And he's recognizing this better than he has in the past. If he gets double or triple teamed, it means someone is open. And now, even if they're clogging the paint and doubling and triple teaming him when he has the ball, he's recognizing that earlier or he sees it coming and he's learned how to make some of these passes to get the ball out of his hands. He had nine assists in last night's game. I believe that's a new career high. And he's putting up significantly higher assist numbers than he ever has before. And that's, I think, going to make it easier to deal with, with you know, a clogged paint or poor spacing because at least you can kind of keep the ball moving that way. It's not like all of a sudden there's no kickout shooters for him. It's, okay, he can pass the ball and this is no big deal because he can hit darting cutters and others like that. So I think that's kind of been a big thing. Right now, by the way, Anthony Davis is averaging five assists per game, which is a pretty significant number His career, for his career, including this five in this, game, in this uh, stretch of season. He's a career two assists per game guy last season he averaged 2.3 assists that's jumped to five this year that is an absolutely staggering jump huge for this offense you saw the ball movement was so important so because of that and the lack of shooting I you know I I think you can get a a decent enough offense and then you have guys like Miritich and Moore who are going to sub in maybe earlier with your rotations assuming Moore maybe stays on the bench maybe he's a starter and this makes things a little bit better Miritich can then still sub in earlier to kind of keep the the defenses off balance. So I think there's a lot of potential to start Randall. I think against bigger, like bruisier type of centers like a DeAndre Jordan, like a Rudy Gobert, he's the guy you want to probably start. You know, I had always said I thought I saw him being a spot starter. Now, though, with how they're playing, I think you're going to see is this Pelicans team is looking for anything to kind of really jumpstart them. I think that's what you might see happen. We've seen the rotations change on a night-to-night basis as Alvin Gentry looks for some sort of spark. 
They had that spark in the win against the Dallas Mavericks. Mircic is coming back from being sick with who knows what. You know, maybe you're going to see Julius Randle starting, and I think it, it wouldn't be a big surprise again, even if Mircic is healthy, to see him starting again Friday against the Memphis Grizzlies is maybe the kind of uh, the Pelicans look to kind of recapture this lightning in the bottle they found against the Dallas Mavericks. So we're going to end today's podcast on a very happy note, I think, after a big win. Come on, we're all in a good mood. Let's keep the good feelings going. Before we do that, though, you guys know what I'm going to say, and that is you need to listen and subscribe to the Locked on Saints podcast. Back in action on Sunday after some rest, looking to get back to winning ways after the disappointing loss to the Dallas Cowboys. Can they do it? What went wrong in that game? What have been they been working on over the past 10 days, basically, as they prep for this one? And our man Ross Jackson, host of the Locked on Saints podcast, has you covered with that. So make sure you listen and subscribe to Locked on Saints. So it came out. I think yesterday or the day before that an anonymous customer spent over $93,000, $93,000 to pay off close to 400 layaway items at the New Orleans Walmart over there on Chapatula Street. And then it was confirmed that it was, and the Saints confirmed it actually, there we go, that the Saints owner, Gail Benson, decided to pay off all the layaway items for these customers who had no idea this was coming to the tune of $93,502. Basically, the Saints said it was a gift from Miss Benson for the holidays. Um, these customers have been floored by the act of generosity, and I think it's worth pointing out. Again, we're trying to keep the good feelings going here. We're being positive today. Let's share a nice story. When you look around the league and you see just disastrous ownership situations from teams, things like the Knicks, uh, the Bulls, and the firing of Fred Hoiberg, and all of that weird crap that goes on there, whatever is going on with Robert Sauver and the Suns, the list keeps going on. You don't have that situation here in New Orleans. At times, have they been cheap? Oh, absolutely. You know, they still do care about money and different things like that. But for the most part, it's not a dysfunctional situation. Uh, and it, it's, you know, it, there is no need to sell the Pelicans to pay for the Saints after Tom Benson's passing or anything like that. There's just a good, solid ownership foundation here. And you see that kind of reflected in the charity work that Tom and Gail Benson and now Gail Benson by herself do. And this is just kind of one of those things. Makes me appreciate what we've got here in New Orleans when, again, you see dysfunctional situations, horrible office situations with the Knicks in particular and others. And that just doesn't occur here. It's stable. You don't need to worry about what was it like one of the, the Bucks owners, I think, or maybe it was... The Timberwolves, I can't remember, with like sex dungeons in New York or something. Look that story up if you haven't. It's kind of weird. Uh, so all of this has just been a, a good situation since they've taken over. It's nice to see them kind of paying things back to the city, to the community, to people less fortunate than them being by far the richest people in Louisiana. So great story there. Just to end here on a happy note in the winning Thursday edition of Locked on Pelicans. We're going to end it right there. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. We'll be back with you all tomorrow to preview the Grizzlies. 